Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn over to Hebrews 9. And while you're turning there, let me kind of introduce the subject matter that we're going to go through today. This isn't really a, uh, you know, a one, two, three, four message. It's more of a rumination, and it's a rumination on judgment. If, uh, if you're one of the uh, people who have bought Breath Number One, our first magazine, in it is an interview of Joe Morris. And Joe Morris is a traveling preacher. Um, I believe the uh, title of the article is A New Testament, or a, no, A Modern Day Agabus. And if you go through the book of Acts, you see that Agabus was a New Testament prophet. Now, New Testament prophets don't have the same status as Old Testament prophets, but uh, Joe Morris sometimes operates as a New Testament prophet, kind of the way that we see that Agabus did in the book of Acts. Now, one thing that we relate in our magazine is an encounter that he had with the Lord Jesus Christ. What he says is that he was in his house praying one day, and if, if you talk to Joe about this, ever have a chance to see him and talk to him about it, he'll say he was praying and minding his own business. There wasn't anything special going on. He was just praying. And he said, all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him. I can't remember whether this is the first appearance that he ever had of the Lord, but he said, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, warn people that judgment is coming. Now, to provide you a little bit of context, Joe had been preaching for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, and he has a regular ministry of a traveling ministry going all over the country, preaching in actually smaller churches. And so, contextually, the Lord appearing to him and saying, warn people that judgment is coming, that includes the people of God. That includes what? Members of the body of Christ. And, you know, Joe will tell you this. Uh, he blurted out and said, I don't want to do that. Kind of like Ananias speaking back, you know, retorting to the Lord about Paul in the book of Acts. Paul, um, Joe says, I don't want to do that. You know, he's a preacher. And as a traveling preacher, you know, he has to rely upon invitations from pastors of churches and, you know, it's, it'd be real tough to advertise and say, hey, I'm a preacher of judgment, you know, let me come preach at your church. And what's interesting is the Lord responded to him and said, it doesn't matter what you want to do, it's what you're supposed to do. And with that, the Lord disappeared. Now, Joe's testimony is that he really didn't want to preach on judgment, and he didn't really do so for the next three years. So he is praying in a pastor's study. He was preaching at a church and just praying before service one day, one Sunday. And he said he turned around and Jesus appeared to him, leaning, uh, just leaning on the pastor's desk. He was in the pastor's study. And he said that Jesus didn't say anything to him, just appeared to him. And Joe said he, uh, he started crying because he knew exactly why the Lord was appearing to him. He hadn't obeyed the Lord in the instruction of warning people that judgment is coming. So 
that's something that's important to the Lord. Not only that judgment is coming, what, for the world at large, but judgment is also coming for those in the body of Christ. And that's one thing that we're going to go through today. We're going to sit on some verses and look at verses about the coming judgment. And with that, let's go over to Hebrews 9.27. Now, I'm going to be reading from the King James mostly, um, but... I don't think there's any problem with the modern translations. 9.27 says this. The writer says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Now let's take that in a minute. Let's think about that a minute. And as it is appointed unto men once to die. Scripture's true on, on this, isn't it? Because everyone has died. The only one who has been resurrected in bodily form, is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but what? He eventually died again. And then you have other people who have been raised from the dead, and they have gone on to die because what? Because of the power of sin. So going back to this verse, we see that everyone's going to die once. There, there is going to be a last generation that is on the earth when the Lord appears, but if you're not in that generation, you're going to die. Eventually, a lot of people don't like to contemplate that, but you know, Paul writes for Christians, he said, uh, it's far better for me to depart and be with the Lord. Well, well if I depart, he writes in Philippians, um, I'll be with the Lord, which is far better. Amen. So it's not that we look forward to dying, but we know what happens after we die as members of the body of Christ. But we see that after this, the judgment. Now, judgment doesn't have to be a negative word. It just depends upon where you stand in the judgment, actually, whether it's negative or positive. And we're going to go through verses about that. So as it is uh, pointed Unto men wants to die, it's also appointed that after they die, there's a coming judgment. And let's read verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. We understand that to be the crucifixion. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And what the writer is speaking about there is really glorification. It's it's what you might call full salvation. Because we get saved here on the earth, and what? We receive the deposit of the Spirit. That is the earnest. That is the beginning of salvation. But our bodies are not yet saved. They're not yet glorified. And they're going to be glorified at the Lord's appearing, and that's what the writer is speaking about here. When Jesus appears the second time, it's going to be without sin, unto salvation, salvation spirit, soul, and body. Amen. Now, let me jump over to Hebrews 6, because this kind of uh, bears witness to what, to Joe's encounter with the Lord, really. In Hebrews 6, 1, the writer writes and says, therefore, leaving the principles or in the Greek, it's the beginnings or the first principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection or let us go on to maturity. 
not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. That's a basic doctrine. Of faith toward God, that is a basic doctrine. Of the doctrine of baptisms, that's plural, and it's a basic doctrine. And of the laying on of hands, which you don't see in the church these days, but it's a basic doctrine of the church. And then you get to this, of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. In the Greek, it says, resurrection both out of dead ones and judgment of the age. Now, let's sit on this for a minute and let's, let me expound on it a little. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he's called uh, the firstborn out of the dead. He's the firstborn of many brethren. And one way to look at that is he inaugurated a new age. Because before Jesus was resurrected, no one had been born again. But after he's resurrected, we become born again. We become members of the body of Christ. But we are still, what, in the earth, but not of it. Or in the world, but not of the world. So we have an overlapping of the ages, so to speak, because we have, what, the age of the power of sin, but then we see that Jesus is going to return without sin, you know? Um, and when he returns, that's going to be the end of the age of the power of sin, and that's when the judgment is coming. Amen. So that's why you see in the Greek, it says, in judgment of the age, that age is closing at the uh, appearance of the Lord. Amen. Now, we, can go, we could go straight into uh, other scriptures about judgment, but I want to give a little bit more context. So let me read to you from Philippians 2.6, because... Even with these scriptures in Hebrews, we talk about the Lord Jesus coming back again, and that's important, and that's important for context. But let me, uh, let me color that in a little bit with some scripture. Uh, reading from Philippians 2, Paul writes, who, and he's speaking about Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not something to be exploited to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation or uh, emptied himself and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled or humiliated himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross." Now, did you get that? You have Jesus who being in the form of God, and you see this dissension down where he made himself, he emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a man um, and the form of a servant. He humiliated himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And then you see in the very next verse, you see, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, 
and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you have, just in these uh, few verses in Philippians, you have Jesus' descent down, all the way down to death on a cross, and then you see that God the Father exalts him and gives him the name above every name. And this is the one who is coming back, who we await his appearance. And he's the one who's going to judge. Think about that a minute. The one who descended down to the bottom of the depths is also the one who's been highly exalted, and he is the one who's going to sit as judge. Now let me jump over to John 20. John 20 is where Jesus has been resurrected. This is after his exaltation by the Father. John writes this in verse 19. Then the same day of evening, at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you, or Shalom. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now, let's take that in for a minute. Jesus has been resurrected, and we know from Philippians that he has been given the name above every name. But we see here that when he appears to his disciples, he's got holes in his hands, and he's got, he's got the cut in his side from that sword. I'm sure that if you pulled his robe off and you looked at his back, his back probably has all kinds of scars on it from the scourging he had from Pilate. He was crucified as a man. Here's the thing. He was a man. And so... He's going to be the one who appears. I mean, Jesus is a man. He, he was God with us, but he became what? He became flesh, which means he became a man. A man is going to judge us. And it's a man with holes in his hands and a cut in his side who is going to have those. Ha well, he has those uh, eternally. We're forever going to see him with holes in his hands and this cut in his side and probably the scars on his back. They're not going away. There's not going to be any time in heaven or any time in the new creation, the new earth and the new heaven, where we look upon Jesus and we forget that he was crucified for us. There's not going to be a moment. His body is a witness of what he did for us and his body is a witness of him being exalted uh, and given the name above every name. Because of what? Because of his death on the cross. Amen. Now, with that in mind, let me read to you something out of John, which Jesus himself said. This is John 5.22. He says, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son, honors not the Father, which hath, 
sent him. Now take that in for a moment. Jesus says the Father judges no man, but he's basically has handed all the authority of judgment unto the Son. And he says that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He says all men. So all men, every man, every man, woman, and child who's ever lived ever on the face of the earth is going to be judged by the one with the holes in his hands. I mean, God is really brilliant, if you think about it, because we will be judged by the man, Jesus Christ, who walked this earth the same way as you and I have walked it. There's not going to be anybody who has any kind of excuse to say, well, you don't know what I went through. You don't understand because standing before you is going to be the man who took it all on. You get that? Understand that. We're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's sobering that we're going to do that, but he's going to judge everyone. Jesus said he's been deputized with judgment. And so you go back to verse 23. It says, all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. And then get this. He that honors not the son honors not the father who has sent him. So imagine what it's going to be like with judgment for those who have rejected the son who have rejected the Lord, they're going to have to stand before the Lord that they rejected. They're going to have to stand before the man with the holes in his hands who was crucified on their behalf and answer for that rejection. It's pretty sobering. Let's go over to Acts. And this is a, this is a pretty long passage, but, you know, uh, it's good to read it. It's good to read through Scripture and hear it with your physical ear. So I'm going to read this through. It's uh, Acts 17, verse 22, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Or you're going to get that from, from the passage. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. That's the inscription, to the unknown God. Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands. Of course, why? This is because Jesus has been, what, resurrected? He ascended into heaven. And then what do you have? You have the Holy Ghost has come upon the earth. So God is found in the bodies of men, the bodies of believers. Amen. Neither neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needs anything seeing that he gives, he gives to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell all on the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, 
that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art or man's device. They're, they're, what he's talking about are idols. What he's talking about is you're not going to find God in any kind of idol, any kind of statue, any kind of art. He's not to be found there. Now, verse 30, and this is where it gets important for our discussion about judgment. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, meaning before the resurrection. But now commands all men everywhere to repent, because, listen to this, because he has appointed a day. He has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that in that he hath raised him from the dead. Now let's break this down a little bit. Let's take a look and see what Paul is preaching here. He says that God is going to judge the world, but then consistent with John, he's not going to do it himself. He has deputized the Son. He says, whom he hath ordained, um, he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained or appointed. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And whereas he's given assurance unto all men, you can bank on it that he will judge the world by Jesus Christ by the evidence of the resurrection. Jesus has been resurrected. He's coming back to the planet, and he is going to judge the living and the dead. Amen. Now, let me read to you a couple verses from 1 Timothy or from Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul writes this, and he's writing to a young preacher. Timothy was a young preacher, and he writes, that you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 2 Timothy 4.1, he says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick or the, the ones alive, and the dead at the appearing, at his appearing and his kingdom. So again, we see that Jesus is going to judge the world. The world is going to have to stand before the Lamb who was crucified. You know, and one one reason, well, that's important for all kinds of reasons, but you know, when you talk to those people who are not born again, you know, they have these, these nebulous ideas of, you know, well, I don't know how God's going to judge this or judge that. You know, I don't know if you've had those conversations. I've had. And the thing is, the Father has ordained Jesus to judge the world. So all those people that you hear, those unbelievers 
who kind of make fun of, a lot of them make fun of uh, being judged, they're going to have to stand individually before the one who was crucified on their behalf. And they're going to have to give an account for their rejection of him. Amen. Now, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but just hear these verses because, like I said, this is kind of like a rumination on judgment. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how the Lord Jesus is going to judge the world. You know, I mean, I'm a lawyer by trade, and one thing that lawyers do is we get into procedure. You know, uh, how's this going to work? Do I need witnesses? Do I speak first? Do I speak second? Uh, What is the procedure of getting through this thing? The Bible really doesn't tell us that. It just says that uh, it says Jesus is going to judge and and we know that we are going to be judged by him along with those who do not believe. He's going to judge everyone. Now, Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. What's Paul writing about here? He's talking about uh, judging people, really. He said, uh, coming down with your own judgment on the way people are serving the Lord. Said, so don't do that. Uh, the Lord is the judge, and He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. So here we have a peek into what Jesus is going to judge men about: the hidden things of the hearts, um, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, the the inner man, the inner thoughts, what people uh, were really doing. Uh, their motivations, and uh, what they were harboring in their heart. Those kinds of things are going to be judged by him. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.10 said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that, to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, this brings out a real important point for members of the body of Christ and due to poor teaching in the past. It's been preached uh, for a long time in the past that Christians don't need to worry about judgment because they've been saved. But here Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that the Lord's going to judge everyone for deeds done in the flesh. It's not just going to be the unbelievers. It's not just going to be, you know, everybody who's a goat, you know, go away. We have that in the Gospels, sheeps and the goats, but it's going to be more detailed about what was done in the flesh. And as a believer, it's important of what what you do in the flesh for the Lord and for His body, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But bear in mind that... Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That means that we're going to have to answer for what we've done in the flesh. Amen. 
And, uh, well, let me read to you Romans 14, 9, and 10, because this is consistent. Paul writes, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set at naught your brother? Listen, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Basically, what Paul is saying here you don't need to judge anybody because you're going to be judged yourself. And so what we should have in mind is how am my judgment going to go, not what somebody else's judgment's going to go. You know, you have at the end of John where Jesus prophesies about the death of Peter, and he doesn't say anything about John. And Peter says, hey, Jesus, what about him? And Jesus says, uh, that's not really any of your business. What happens with John? What is your business is what happens with you. That's what Paul's uh, saying here, basically. Why are you judging your brother? Why are you doing this against him? Because we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. Now, let's, let's talk about this judgment seat of Christ because we do have a hint of what the Lord's going to be looking at when it comes to judgment. We might not know about procedures, but we know what's important to him, or we get an understanding of what's important to him. And again, this is a long passage, but, but bear with me and listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He's speaking about division. There was a division in the Corinthian church, and we see that all today. I mean, it's all over the place today in churches where people say, well, I follow this preacher, but I'm not going to follow this one. And, well, I follow this guy, and I follow this woman, and there's all kinds of division. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians, is dealing with that, and this is what he has to say. He says, who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? He's talking about himself, and he's talking about another preacher. He said, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Now let's stop there and let me just deal with division. Everybody everybody's kind of has their favorite preachers. I mean, I have mine. There are certain preachers that I really like listening to because I click with them. But that doesn't mean that with other preachers, I kind of diss those preachers and say no, and I, I kind of shove them off. We can learn from every preacher in the body of Christ, even if our personalities rub a different way, or they present the gospel uh, from another vantage point. And when I say from another vantage point, I'm not talking about, you know, um, modifying the truth or watering down the truth. It's just that we have diversity in the body of Christ. And that's one thing that Paul is talking about here. He says that both he and Apollos are ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. The ministers or the gifts are given to the body of Christ, not just to certain portions of the body of Christ, but the whole body of Christ. So Paul explains, he said, I've planted, Apollos has watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that plants anything, neither he that waters, but God that gives the increase. What Paul is basically saying is get your eyes off the preachers because they're only doing what the Lord wants them to do. 
you know, going back to what I was, uh, that account of Joe Morris and the Lord appearing to him. The important point of that vision isn't, well, well, you know, Joe's somebody. The important point is that Jesus appeared to a preacher and said, you need to warn people that judgment is coming. Judgment is what's important. It's not the messenger, so to speak. Now, verse 8, Paul goes on and says, Now he that plants and he that waters are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now that gets into judgment. Paul talks about rewards. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's garden. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. Now, we understand from that what Paul is saying is there is a division of labor and every man is rewarded basically based upon his division of labor what he's faithful to when it comes to what he's supposed to do. Going back to Joe Morris, you know, um, he's supposed to preach on judgment. So the Lord's going to judge him on that. And we see that here, Paul talks about rewards. You know, this is where judgment can become positive. You look at judgments like uh, judgment is good. You've been judged as doing well. Well, for deeds done in the body, not everything's bad when it comes to judgments. Now, going on with verse 11, Paul had talked about he built a foundation, and he says, For other foundation can no man lay than that, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And he talks about being a wise master builder, and the foundation is what? Death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be manifest, for the day shall declare it, that is the day of his appearing, the day of judgments, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work what sort it is. Well, there we get an idea of what judgment's going to be like. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now go back up to what's, what's Paul mentioned. He, he mentions gold, silver, precious stones. Well, you know that those kinds of things, uh, they'll, they'll endure the fire. You know, you, you can melt gold down, but it's not going to be destroyed. You can melt silver down, but it's not going to be destroyed. Same with diamonds, sapphires, and then the rest. But then you look at the next category, what he talks about, and it's what? Wood, hay, and stubble. And then he says, if any man's work shall be burned, well, you know that wood, hay, and stubble can be burned. He shall suffer loss, meaning that everything that he's done has just gone up in flames. Why? By the judgment, by the fire of judgment, it says, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And that's where we see how the judgment seat of Christ will go with believers. 
You know, there are a lot of believers. Um, there's a lot of believers that have a whole lot of wood, hay, and stubble. And actually, if you hear Joe preach on this, he talks about <laughs> he talks about bonfires, talks about asbestos suits and everything else. He said, you know, um, he said he doesn't want. He doesn't want everybody to start putting on asbestos suits when the Lord says, okay, Joe Morris, you're next, because you know there's going to be a big fire coming up. No, he wants to concentrate on the gold, silver, and precious stones, and that's where all of us should concentrate on. Amen. And what do we see? We see the context is it's building up God's garden, building up God's building. And what is that? That is the body of Christ. That's where we see that the rewards come in. You know, you have, you have Paul planting. Planting what? He's planting the foundation for the body of Christ. You see Apollos watering. Watering what? Growing God's garden. That's where the reward's going to come from. Now, as Americans, because I'm American, we always try to tie this into our occupations. You know, but think about this. Think about somebody coming before the Lord Jesus Christ and, and his testimony is this. I said, well, um, I was a game show host on the earth. You know, I got to work. I worked about three months out of the year because we taped five shows a day. And then I was off for nine months. So, you know, it's a pretty good occupation. Yes, I got paid quite a lot of money, but let me tell you that the contestants, they got a lot of good prizes, a lot of good prizes. Well, no, no, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't give that much to the church. I mean, you know, I, I was a public figure, and, um, you know, I, I kind of had to keep up appearances, Think about that kind of testimony before the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we talked about, talked about how he's got the holes in his hands from the crucifixion. What kind of testimony do you think that's going to be? Well, uh, that seems like it's going to be what? Wood, hay, and stubble, right? Or think about this kind of testimony. It's like, well, I was a tech billionaire. You know, I was let in on those early tech giants, you know, on stock options and the rest. And, you know, I put it all in an IRA because, well, the rules let me do that. And I was worth many billions of dollars. I said, well, no, no, Lord, I didn't, I didn't really do anything with it because, you know, I didn't live long enough for that. You know, they have those IRA rules where... Uh, It'd be a big, big penalty. You know, it'd be millions of dollars in penalties if I took that money out early and gave it to the church. So, you know, I kept it in there. Who wants a penalty? Um, I'm sure I give, gave money to the church. I'm sure, I'm sure I signed some checks and gave some money for the body of Christ. Um, is my accountant here? Is my bookkeeper here? I'm, I'm sure that somebody knows something about that. You know, that's not going to go very far with the Lord Jesus Christ, you know? Now, we hear all the time from preachers, you know, that they want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And, you know, I think that does a disservice to us in the body of Christ because that comes from a, Matthew par uh, uh, a parable in Matthew. And we get this idea of how judgment's going to go where we don't have to say anything. We don't have to, 
justify anything to the Lord. We just kind of appear and he kind of, you know, goes off on saying how great we are. And then he, he ends it by saying, well done, thou good and faithful servants. You know, the, like I said, the, the Bible doesn't talk about what the procedure is. And so, you know, very often in my mind, I think, what am I going to do if, say, for example, the Lord calls me up and says, what did you do with my gospel? What if I have to really answer to him? What if I have to give an account for my deeds in the flesh, like Paul writes in Romans? What if I have to say to the one who loved me and gave himself for me what I did with his gospel? So that's pretty sobering. It's pretty sobering to try to come up with an answer that really means anything, you know? But you know, that is... Uh, when you go back to the Lord appearing to Joe Morris, I mean, that is a good possibility where he says to us on that day, what did you do with my gospel? What did you do with what I gave you? How did you grow the body of Christ? How did you bless the body of Christ? And let me interject here. I don't think writing a check out and saying, hey, um, you know, I gave some checks to the church and I gave some checks to charity. I don't think you're going to feel real good in saying that to the one who was crucified to you. You know, we all have occupations. We have to make livings. In fact, the Lord recognizes that in the Gospels. He says, your father knows that you have need of such things as clothing and all that kind of thing. Question is... What was your motivation? Question is, what did you do with your heart? What did you do with your time on the earth when it came to the body of Christ? Did you have in mind that you're going to have to give an account for the deeds done in the flesh? If not, maybe you need to get on your knees. Maybe you need to sit down or get on your knees and ask the Lord, where do I stand with this? What do you want me to do? There's a preacher that I used to, uh, my wife and I used to go listen all the time, and I really liked him. He had like a sixth grade education. And uh, he died some years back, but he was preaching past the age of 70. And he would say this, and he, would, uh, he didn't win any fans by saying it, but he would ask the question, um, to those who were thinking of retiring in the congregation, he said, for those of you who think you're retiring, why are you retiring? What's the whole idea about retiring? What, you want to you wanna save up some money and buy an RV and go look at trees all day? Is that what your retirement is about? He would ask him, what about the body of Christ? What are you doing for God's kingdom? You know, he said, I'm not retiring. And in fact, uh, he died preaching the gospel. He was on his way to another meeting to preach when his plane crashed. But I think about him a lot with that question. He said, why are you thinking about retiring? There's nothing about retiring in the body of Christ in the Bible. And you see here in 1 Corinthians 
The context is you, you keep on working. You keep on accumulating that gold, that silver, and those precious stones, what? In heaven above, not on earth below. Because that's where our motivation should be. We should eagerly uh, be eagerly awaiting that day. You know, awaiting that day not to escape the earth, but awaiting that day because the one who what? The one who loved us and gave himself over for us is coming back. And he's establishing his kingdom We should look forward to that day, and we should look forward, actually, to that judgment day, to his appearing, and saying, this is what I did, Lord. I did what I could with what you gave me. And where he he gives us an abounding entrance into his kingdom, one that we, you know, just exceeds all our expectations, anything that we could do or think you know, when it comes to doing things for the Lord, said, oh my gosh, this reward is too much for what I've done. This is too gracious for what I've done for you. That's how we should look at judgment. That's how we should be looking at the judgment seat of Christ. And we're not there. If we're not there, we should get there. We should do what we need to do to get our hearts right and to go Uh, to get there as soon as we can from where we are today. Amen. Now, we're talking about judgment here. Let's talk about the other side of it. Let's talk about the unbeliever side of it because Scripture talks about that. In fact, the epistles talk about that. Paul writes about it in 2 Thessalonians. Let me read this to you because it's a pretty sobering um, piece of passage or portion of scripture. Now, the context is he's encouraging the Thessalonian Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. And uh, he talks about persecution being trouble. So bear that in mind when I read this scripture. He writes, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. And the, the context is you're being persecuted, and that persecution is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. He's talking about that gold, silver, and precious stones, for which you also suffer, seeing that it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Now, notice what he is saying here, because, man, it's a pretty sobering piece of Scripture. He says it's a righteous thing for God to recompense tribulation or persecution to them who persecute you. And to you who are troubled, or to you who are persecuted, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He's talking about judgment day. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me stop there and let me break that down a minute. He says, He's appearing 
He'll be revealed from heaven or unveiled from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. One, one thing I want to point out is that English word obey. We have this, uh, at least I have it, it, I just have a negative connotation of the word obey. When you go back to the Greek, it's basically, the Greek is listen to and, uh, well, basically listen to and act on. That's what that word means. It means that you hear the gospel and you receive it because you believe it, you know? So it's those who believe not the gospel, obey and what? Obey and get saved or hear and get saved. That's what the word obey means. So what he's saying here is he's appearing in flaming fire, flaming fire meaning the, meaning the judgment, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that what? That heard and did not receive or who rejected the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 9 is where it gets even more sobering. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power? Let me read to you um, my, my literal translation of verse 9. These will pay a penalty. Eternal destruction away from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his strength. You know, that is... Uh, you read that, and you can, you can sit on it a minute, and it'll start to bring tears to your eyes. These will pay a penalty. These who? That know not God and who have rejected the gospel. The penalty is eternal destruction away from the face of the Lord. Boy, that's tough. But that's what's going to happen at His appearing. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints, that is judgment day. He's going to be glorified on judgment day, what? By his saints, by you and me, by members of the body of Christ. And to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. There's a parenthetical there, so let me read it without the parenthetical. When he shall be, be come to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired in all them that believe on that day. Amen. That's the day he returns to the planet. Amen. Amen. Now, I want, let me say this, um, because I have it in my notes, and actually it's an important point. Many modern preachers want to deny what I just read here. They don't want to talk about Judgment Day, and they don't want to talk about Judgment Day in, in the negative for the unbeliever. Why? Because we live in the Instagram age where everybody's just, you know, happy, happy, happy. But Scripture is not an op-ed column. You know, this is going to happen whether people believe it or not. This is Scripture. This is inspired Scripture and when you go back to Hebrews, you see that it's a basic doctrine of Christ. What? That he's returning and he's going to take vengeance on those who know not God and who have rejected the gospel 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, you can, uh, you know, there's all kinds of interpretations about what that means exactly, but you see here, you see here that they'll be punished with, well, they will pay a penalty, and that penalty is eternal destruction away from the face of the Lord. I mean, that really says it all. That says enough. Amen. That is the other side of the day of his appearing. Amen. So let me read to you what we see the judgment seat of Christ. We see that believers gain rewards. And you, but you can also have, as a believer, you can have everything that you've done just burn up, you know, in a couple seconds, wood, hay, and stubble. The aim is, the Christian's aim should be that, what, that spiritual gold, silver, and precious stones. Building up the body of Christ, building up God's garden. Amen. So let me read to you Paul's charge to this young preacher, Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.10, Paul writes, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Isn't that terrific? I mean, that's what we believe with him. And that's why we have pledged our loyalty to him. Because he has abolished death. And he has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul writes, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. That should be our testimony, every one of us who are believers. I know in whom I have believed. I am not ashamed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, the day of judgment. Amen. So here is the pledge. Paul writes, Hold fast the form of sound words, which you have heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwells in us. So Paul says to us, Paul says to us Christians, hold fast the form of sound words. What are those sound words? They are the gospel. They're what I have gone through verse after verse about judgment, how it's a basic principle, what Christians are going to face, and also what unbelievers are going to face too. Hold fast the form of sound words, and what? You walk those out. It's not just mental assent. No, you act on them. Let me read to you Philippians 2.12. Now, Philippians, if you go back and you see the context of Philippians in the book of Acts, you see that Paul loved the Philippian Christians. They went out of their way for him. They gave to his ministry without him even asking for any money. They continually supported him. They loved him. And he writes this letter to them and says this in verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, 
as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He's talking about obeying the gospel. Listen to what he says here. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, I know a lot of preaching says that, well, fear is of the devil and faith is the opposite of fear. I hear that all the time. But look, Paul writes here to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's he talking about there? Well, you go back to rewards. You go back to uh, gold and silver and wood, hay, and stubble. And in fact, you can even go back to just the small account that uh, I talked about with Joe Morris. Jesus appears to him and says, I want you to preach judgment. Warn the people that judgment is coming. Every time he preaches that, that's gold, silver, and precious stones to him because he's obeying the Lord and he's walking that out with fear and trembling. He's doing something that's not convenient. He's doing something that is not something that comes from his own fleshly desire, but it's a desire of the Lord. That is walking out your salvation with fear and trembling, that you're going to have to give an account to the one who loved you and offered himself and gave himself over for you. You're going to stand in his presence and give an account for what you've done for him in the flesh. That is working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And when the day approaches, when it's here, you'll be one of those, what? With gold, silver, and precious stones. Not one of those with just wood, hay, and stubble. And the only thing you've got is just your own self that's coming into heaven. You're actually bringing a lot of stuff in with you. Amen. That's the aim and that's the goal. So go over these scriptures meditate on them, and then set your life, set your face like flint, like the way that the Lord did about Jerusalem, where he set his face to the cross. We set our face to honor him and please him and work out our salvation. So on the day, we just love the fact of his coming. We look forward to seeing him because his reward is with him. Amen. Let me finish up by giving the benediction. It said, Now may the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect or mature in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.